0: Welcome to What Makes a Garden. My name's Ginny Blom and I'm a landscape gardener and writer. I released my first book, The Thoughtful Gardener, in 2017. My second book, What Makes a Garden, will be published in October 2023. For over 20 years, I've been making gardens for a living. I've been lucky enough to work on projects all around the world, collaborating with fascinating people across the fields of design, architecture, conservation and more. While we will discuss the practical matters that go behind creating and looking after a green space, this series is about much more than that. We'll delve into what it is that inspires us to work with plants, what it is that connects us to the land, and the complex constellation of ideas, experiences, thoughts and senses that make a garden. My guest on this episode is the writer Olivia Lang. Olivia is the author of six books, including To the River, The Trip to Echo Spring, and The Lonely City. Their first novel, Crudo, won the James Tate Black Memorial Prize. They also write on art and culture for The Guardian, Financial Times, and New York Times. Olivia is also a gardener. In 2020, Olivia began to restore a walled garden in Suffolk, an overgrown Eden of unusual plants. Their forthcoming book, The Garden Against Time, In Search of a Common Paradise, due to be published in May 2024, is an exploration of gardens and utopia. I've admired Olivia's work for a long time, and I was delighted when they came to my studio in Clerkenwell for a chat. Hello, Olivia. Thank you for coming and having a chat with me um, about the book and about our writing and about our gardening
1: I am very excited about this conversation. Also, Ginny's brought in a bowl of plums from her garden, which are extremely delicious. (laughs) (laughs) To set the scene.
0: To set the scene. They've got weeds and grass and bugs in, so they are real. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was amazed to find out that you were a gardener, because that's how I've discovered you, really, is from Instagram and looking at your photos of your garden. And then I found your writing, and then I started reading. And then we met didn't we? We
1: met in this room, but before that, I mean, we've been Instagram friends for what, like a year? I think so, possibly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Instagram's very good for that because you just sort of make, you can make a relationship. I felt, you know, like we would get on. And yeah. then in,
1: indeed that happened. And I... And it's straight to the sort of core of what you're really interested in, because what you're bothering to post is what you totally care Care about. And we're both really obsessive. And I could feel that we were both really obsessive. (laughs) And obsessive about a lot of different things. things. Yeah, Yeah. and and wide ranging in our obsessions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the first book of yours that I read is Loneliness. And I thought it was such an extraordinary book. It's such an extraordinary book because it touches into all sorts of things that I think resonate back to gardening and why we garden and why Mm. we go out and spend long hours um, with ourselves in our inner worlds, tinkering around outside.
1: I think that's really true. The thing I've been thinking about gardening a lot over the last year is how much it's to do with managing all kinds of feelings that making not just gardening like the day-to-day tasks but the building of big structures yeah. which is something that you do on a much grander scale than I do has some incredibly sort of therapeutic soothing effect and I was really interested yeah. in whether you experienced that I suspect that you do
0: yes I do and I've got a thing about ordering space whatever ordering means and I don't mm. mean it in a kind of a obsessive way but there's something no it's not about
1: tidiness no
0: it isn't but there's something about um physical space how much room you need to be Mm. in or or what's happening within it and how you feel held in a space and then how you progress from one place to another and I I feel that what we're doing in microcosm building gardens is what we Mm. could do far better in building cities and yeah that's what resonated when I read your book is that we we alienate ourselves a lot in the cities we build and in the towns we build. And in a way, in gardens, you do the complete opposite of that.
1: Actually, mm-hmm. it's really, I'm just thinking about it now, sort of off the top of my head, but it's really interesting that one of the spaces in the Lonely City that's like this um, kind of antidote to loneliness is those abandoned piers on the Hudson yeah. River in New York. Yeah. And they're almost turned into gardens. Like David Wonarevich comes in and he sprinkles grass seeds, so they yeah. turn into these kind of magic anarchic wild gardens one of the connections that Ginny and I discovered we have is that we were both very involved in squatting back in the day yes so that feeling of like reclaiming the city repossessing the city
0: yeah I'm very interested in that and it's interesting because being a, a lady garden designer of a certain age everybody thinks you've come You know, from you're a lovely middle class lady with lots of money and very, you know, I've I've recently been outed as having extreme far right views. (laughs) Because Because, I, which I don't think
1: you do. No, I just
0: I posted something that I said I loved. I loved. Julie Burchill which I do because she's such a pain in the ass you know mm-hmm. and I I thought well she's brilliant if you ever want somebody to really aggravate everybody and piss them <laughs> off and do lazy thinking and provocative <laughs> provocative writing she's she's your man and um I thought how funny that our backgrounds are sort of not explored you know that we're not discovered and that this is the whole voyage of discovery into what I've done mm. much like you's mm. has started from a really unexpected outsidery. outsidery sort of place you know and it's yeah. quite hard to get that across in this world of sort of celebrity and everybody being all right and if you were to look at both of us on Instagram we've got houses and gardens
1: and, and we're grown like polished professional adults yeah. yeah
0: which we are clearly but yeah, you know on some level oh, scratch the surface <laughs> And we're messy, hungover. (laughs) And it's interesting that we both use words because I've used words Mm. since the beginning because I think I'm quite... Because you
1: did your garden descriptions in words. I did them in words. Not drawing.
0: Yeah, I was nervous about drawing when I started because I've got no background training. I just thought, how hard can it be to Mm. do this? So I started doing it and it's quite hard actually, but you just work and work and work and so the one thing I can do is is describe something to somebody so I started by writing I would do fairly unenthralling looking drawings and and talk and perform because I sort of perform the garden in a way and describe and write about it and words have atmospheres that drawings Mm. if you can't draw terribly well don't have Actually, no. even
1: good drawings, I think there's something that words are doing that's mm. de- they're resonant in a way that an image isn't. And um, one of the things about your book that completely blew my mind is that you say that you can go into any sort of space that you're about to turn into a garden or that is a garden that you're going to improve and instantly know what needs to be done. Yeah, I can. That's insane, Jenny. That's really... It's, having you, having you worked on a garden to- for, you know, years and years and... I'll suddenly realise that something's. Oh, it's that. That doesn't work. It takes me so long to see. So I'm amazed by that yeah. as a skill.
0: Have you ever read Martian Time Slip by Philip K. Dick? No, Well, you should. <laughs> I think you'd like it because he he was. I mean he he wrote Blade Runner. He wrote the book. Yeah, that yeah, 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 into yeah. Blade Runner. um But in Martian Time Slip, there's this character called Manfred who's um, autistic and sees all the worlds simultaneously and when I first read it I thought oh I can I can sort of understand that because I can almost see I can almost physically see what needs to happen when I turn up somewhere and then I have this Wow! don't know don't know I mean I I say it in this book but I was synesthetic very synesthetic when I was little yeah and I think you sort of train yourself I certainly trained myself out of it to a point where I find it quite it's a bit of a distant memory but that's the thing that hasn't gone is that I just have this very strong
1: so is it that things you can feel what feels wrong very viscerally
0: yeah it's very visceral i mean to a point where some places i just so a I tree kind of, is in
1: the wrong place or yeah, a wall isn't yeah. working
0: and so when we bought our the house that we live in currently there was there was a tree and i walked in it uh, in literally it's going to sound ridiculous, but it made me feel sick. Yeah, <laughs> so I'd That's what in. I
1: suspected that it was that visceral. Yeah,
0: it is that visceral, and and I just thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to get it out. And so within you know a week of living there, um, I'd got permission to take it out. It was a terrible tree, so it wasn't like I was killing a good tree. So the tree was not only in the wrong, in a really wrong place uh, that just blocked everything. So it's all about unblocking. Mm. Things. I think my whole life is about mm. unblocking. I think that's why I became. I wanted to be a plumber, but I became <laughs> a, a psychologist, which is the same thing, as far as I'm concerned. It's, yeah, you know. And I was always obsessed with unblocking streams and and getting things to Letting run let things run properly, run smoothly, not like just run like a torrent. But there is just a sort of natural feel to things going well, and I think that's where landscaping. If you if yeah. you can order space I mean we're surrounded by models in here and I find it really helpful to make models and to be able to look at it three-dimensionally yeah look at things three-dimensionally and I think it helps the people I work with because we've all got different ways of perceiving what we're doing yeah so words are a lot you know in in the context of what we do
1: but then there's something else in that that's about how much you rely on intuition because I think sometimes when I do realise something isn't working, in a garden, say, but also in a book, the realisation also comes with the sense that I've I've known this, but I've been ignoring this. Yeah. And now it's seeped up to a sort of unignorable yes. pitch. Yeah, And I think as I get more adept... I mean, I've just finished my seventh book, so I feel like I'm adept at that in a way that I'm not with gardens. But that... Um, so much of being an artist, I think, is about that process of being able to hear that little voice. Yes, that's it like, is. Right, not yeah. right not working yeah and so often you're like deeply invested in this chapter idea and it's wonderful and shiny yeah. not working not working yeah and you have to just and go, it's a niggle okay yeah. okay yeah that's not going to go away
0: well it was a little voice like that that got me to do this in the first place because I had a perfectly Funny sensible story. I had a perfectly sensible career you know and I'd, I'd actually and it's a as, dream isn't it I had a dream yeah and I think you have to, and I'm a Jungian. No, no, say the dream.
1: I love oh, the dream.
0: <laughs> well, I trained as a Jungian, so it's it sort of, you know, it all makes sense to me that you've, you have to listen to these things and then you have to find a way of making it real, you know. So you're, mm. you're listening to your inner voices and you're mm. making it real through writing. It becomes as concrete as it can be through the written word and because through the process. Because you're validating it, so yeah. it becomes
1: louder and louder.
0: Yeah. And it's very important to me to make things it's very important and i think mm. what what happened is i did have i had this sort of great cataclysmic event in my life where my four closest friends died and my four pets all within you a know, very short space of time and i went on a holiday to northern spain up a gorge that, mm. that took i didn't get out of third gear all the way up it <laughs> it's like quite precipitous <laughs> like a, eek god never all these rocks chained to the side of the you know these oh, mesh gosh. nets and I was thinking god this is actually quite frightening even I'm, I'm in Europe and I'm scared <laughs> anyway I got all the way up there and then I had this prophetic dream where I had um I was in a stadium full of people like a, like Wembley and everyone's screaming and screaming like a big football match or something and there was a little tiny person like a child it was an adult but a child yeah yeah in the middle, trying to say something. And in the end, I went, you oh, shut up. I'm trying to hear what he's saying. And I bent down. And even in my dream, I was thinking, I wonder what he's going to say. And he said, please, can I be a gardener? And I just thought,
1: ah. I guess am I have to? Is, I know.
0: It's such a good story. I know. And I woke up and told my partner. And he said, well, you just got to do it. Just yeah. do it. And I thought, well, yeah, I've got to do it. And that literally is the It truth. had that level of force that force, is, yeah. this is the real thing. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, right, I'll do it. What's the worst that can happen? It'll all go horribly just wrong. Failure. Just failure. Yeah.
1: And who cares? It's only ever just failure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Failure's fine. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> yeah. It, it isn't going to kill you. So have a go. And I literally knew nothing. I, I, but I'd been sort of tinkering around. I'd always loved the subject. When you're doing the thing that's right, it works, I think. I'm and that's listening. that sense
1: of flow that you're not yeah. you're not um, because I had all of my twenties doing the wrong job and I yeah. knew all the time that there was just this sense of grit and something pulling. Yeah. And as soon as as soon as I changed and started writing, like everything suddenly aligned. Yeah. It's not that it gets easier or there isn't all of those sort of senses of failure and difficulty, but there's something about doing the right thing. Mm-hmm.
0: well I think I think it's amazing that you went so far into herbalism and that you were you know it's a
1: yeah
0: do do you talk about that a lot I mean no
1: no I mean I do acknowledge it uh and I talked about it a bit when I was writing everybody but yeah I spent five years training I did a medicine degree And then came out of it, like, are you a homeopath? Did you do a weekend course? And it's like, no, No, I really didn't. And then I practiced for a long time. So I think that was actually, it was really foundational to being a writer in that it was like this amazing training in deep interviewing and deep listening because you're taking these case studies. You're talking to somebody who's vulnerable and in distress and you're spending an hour with them where they tell you the tale of their life by way of their body. I mean, what a training ground for a young person. And then they're learning about plants, doing yeah. Materia Medica, doing botany. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Yeah. But it was the wrong job for me. Yeah.
0: And I was working in, in the sticky end of mental health, you know, with people who were really, really ill in Brixton. Yeah. Um, in um, working in residential care with people who had proper um, mental health issues.
1: Which I imagine you were
0: brilliant at. I just loved it. I yeah. loved it. I loved it because I love... Um, Well, I love...
1: You were comfortable with people in extreme states? I'm
0: yes, I'm comfortable with people. Ginny and I
1: both come from quite traumatic
0: backgrounds. I think that's
1: probably another bond. I mean,
0: I did did have a a traumatic upbringing Mm. in lots of ways. On the surface, it would have looked untraumatic. But but the reality... But the reality wasn't. So I never underestimate people's experience and I never project, I try never to project, um, oh, it's all right for you. If I ever hear, oh, it's all right for you, You have no idea. I have a kind of, you know, a a vein starts throbbing in the corner of my temple. Yeah, (laughs) because it isn't all right for people. The majority of people who've got, as we have, have got their, and the people I work for. Actually, I work for a lot of people who, on the face of it, would seem like they're the the absolute upper echelon of human achievement, and have Mm. achieved Maslow's hierarchy magnificently but they've all got stories Mm. of things that they've done and overcome there are very few people who are born to the level of luck that they achieve or Mm. if that's what you want to call it most people have fought their way up and I used to walk to school with a a troop of schizophrenic men who were on their way to an ITU and I felt very comfortable in their company and I've always felt very comfortable in the company of people whose who's experienced an alternative reality mm. to ours um, because I think I was trying to make sense of my own perceptions when I was little and gardening helped me do it. So being outside or being mm. with plants or being with mud, actually. Yeah. Mud was a big part of my childhood.
1: Because of sort of tactile modelling, making things from it or well, getting also, dirty?
0: No, not the getting dirty because I'm very fastidious and clean, as you can see. <laughs>
1: Spotless Don't know, like, on no, Ginny today. <laughs> Possibly, was, I can't see fingernails. Possibly, I know th- they're spotless.
0: <laughs> I think I like the age of it. I think I like the what what it actually is, which is the the oh. the, the particulate matter of the planet. Yeah, you the know. skin of the planet. Yes, and yeah. what it was, and what what the components were. And I became, you know, I really enjoyed writing the section about the different soils. And I could have written an entire I loved book. That. <laughs> could have written an entire book about. But maybe See, the soil. next one should
1: be about soil. You know, the love I think of, soil is the most important yeah. subject, actually. Mm. Because of all of the farming in soil that has no fertility left whatsoever. None whatsoever.
0: And regenerative farming. I'm I'm much more pro-regenerative farming than I am rewilding because it's mm. got much more thought and care piling into it and um and genuine interest. And there's mm. just something in the word regeneration, which I like. Mm. Um which is a giving word rather than um, rewilding, which to me is a. I think rewilding word. has become
1: a very difficult phrase because yeah. it covers so many different projects, some of which I think are amazing, and some mm. of which I'm less interested in. Mm. But it, I, I hate sure. how it's got caught up in this sort of ridiculous culture war where
0: it has, hasn't it? People
1: feel like they need to say. I loathe rewilding. Well, I love rewilding. It's like, let's actually talk about what we mean by it rather than using it as this phrase that conceals all kinds of things. And that's what your book makes so clear, is these very kind of sane ideas about we're in a crisis with the planet, we're in an ecological crisis, there's a role that gardens can play in that. And that felt really exciting to me, that there are lots and lots of different things we can do. We're all different, we'll have different roles to play. And it felt generous and... uh, engaging rather than doctrinaire. Oh, I mean, good. you're not a very doctrinaire person, are you? I
0: hope not. I hope not. I I just think that, um, you know, I'm a cathar, basically. And I think that, you know, it's down to each one of us to, to make a, a contribution mm. in the way that we can and to take it seriously. Mm. And it doesn't matter what our contribution is as long as we power up and do it. Mm. I think that's the thing. That's my... My politics is like everybody take responsibility for something you care about and then do it well. Yeah. if it's robbing banks, whatever, I don't mind. But yeah, if, if you, and if it's
1: gardens, and if it's then gardens,
0: then do, do that. It, do it to the best of your interest and ability. And the other thing is, it's a sharing thing, you know. So it is a, a very kind of bread on the water, you know. I mean, you, yeah, you, you can do your own.
1: That's what's wonderful about gardens; yeah. they are just so enriching. So I was, I can't remember. Oh, I was putting something on Instagram about. Um, the change in the hedgerows act, so the potential risk to hedgerows if the law changes. Yes. And Ginny replied to me instantly, saying, "I've planted how many me how many miles was it? Eleven and a half
0: miles. Eleven <laughs> this year.
1: It's like this is this is the work. This is the you way know, you do just it. Just shut up
0: and do it. You know, just shut yeah. up and do it. Go I mean, and get never your mind, hedgerows in.
1: Never mind. You know, there's a, a, and other people have other roles yeah. to play, but that just felt like. Nitty gritty, Yeah, get the hedgerows in.
0: I mean, I'm very lucky because I, I've found myself in a position where people trust me to spend their money wisely and this is how mm. I choose to do it, you know, mm. so.
1: And you can convey the sort of infectious delight of what a hedgerow yeah. in full bloom or yeah. full ripeness is yeah. to a client who then says, yes, I want that. And yeah. I think that's really interesting. That's where language sort of plays a role as well because you're making a dream of the garden and then you're providing that dream garden. Yeah. That's an interesting process. It is. I'm going to send you something. I've got a question. I've got a question. Mm. (laughs) Please miss. I've actually put my arm up. Um, When you meet a client, whose dream is it? Are they bringing a dream to you or are you bringing a dream to them? Or is it a collaborative process or are you drawing out what they truly want or telling them what they want?
0: I Ah, that's interesting. I think it's entirely dependent on who it is. Um, I've had one, one client who's become a very good friend when I showed them the scheme, I said, what do you think? And she said, if you love it, I love it. And that was that. And I thought, "Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and then, and that was it. It was like, from there, I just built it and she loved it. And Gosh. we've gone on to do other things together subsequently and become good mates. And she's another sort of maverick individual. I've worked yeah. for a lot of women who, um, who are how can I put it delicately wealthy enough to afford my gardens yeah um, I think um and she knew that she wanted you and then what you wanted to make was what
1: other people she desired yeah
0: and other people um it's much more sort of drawing out people are nervous you know some people Mm. are nervous because it's not a, a standard material commodity yeah you know there's more to gardening than that. And And people are
1: scared of plants as well because they die. Yeah. It's a living thing. It's not like you're just getting an architect, yes. and to build a house that you live in. No, there's the it's immutable. Keep going. That's, well, that's why I split this
0: into an. Al- I've made it an alchemical book because yeah. there's the immutable and the mutable, and they're very different sides of the brain. You know, yeah. if yeah. some people are fine with the immutable, and there are a lot of immutable gardens around. You know, and, and aren't there? I which don't
1: like them. I'm not very keen on them. You need the immutable, <laughs> but you need it absolutely. You know, you need like a structure. human body, you need a skeleton
0: yeah. to hold us up, and then you need all the. But the bits. mutable is the fascination. That yeah. you need the squidgy bits, and then you need the soul of it you know yeah. so somehow you've got to draw all that together so i think really it's it's a question of getting to know the person and drawing it all out and the thing is at the end i want them to really feel like it belongs to them so yesterday i had a very nice message from somebody who i made a garden for that we finished about a year ago and and i had an unsolicited text just saying i absolutely love it i mean and that oh. and to me that's it you know because somehow i've listened interpreted and then built something that they really genuinely feel they get and understand and And can live in yeah yeah because it
1: is so much of your life that you have inside a garden yeah it. i mean that sort of sense of it as a place of refuge or sanctuary or all of those different things it's immensely
0: personal so i'm very conscious of i mean i touch on it a bit in the book you know the thing about therapeutic gardening the whole therapeutic process is immensely private i mean you Mm. know from doing your herbalism Mm. that you're into this the really intimate part of people's lives and their psyches and their emotions and everything and it's a very privileged place to be yeah i think so. and therefore to dignify it as much as possible is very important to me and i think that's why you learn your process you know it's like being a very good musician or whatever you know you need to really know your instrument and then
1: and then do some people do some people come in and they know exactly what they want and they want you to just facilitate that
0: no not people don't come to me for that no they might go to other people who have a more identifiable style yeah and then say i want a so-and-so because i know what i'm getting yeah i know my friends will understand it and I know... So with you, know, you, it's
1: like a deep process. You're going through yeah, a process I'd say, to find something.
0: Yeah, I had one client and she'd pulled all sorts of different looking gardens out of magazines and spread them all out in front of me. And she said, look, I think there's something going on in all of these. And I was absolutely amazed. I said, well, they're all by me, <laughs> but they're... <laughs> <laughs> oh my even god even down to but some actually
1: your gardens don't all look the same no they don't i could probably pick out threads in them but yeah. it was really interesting looking at the pictures in this book and being like these are really you know some people just have a house style and you're like oh that's by them
0: yeah but nah.
1: you, no don't like that no
0: no and also and they're
1: responsive to the place that they're in yeah. so that varies the yeah. scottish one looks so different to everything yeah. else yeah beautiful thank but, you yeah yeah
0: it will be again, Olivia. They've just put a lot of drainage in, so it's not looking quite at its best. Well, I
1: shan't be looking at it now. No, but coming
0: <laughs> but when we go up there. When we're,
1: yeah. <laughs> we yeah. Then it will be again. It will
0: be again. Yeah, and things like the garden in Italy in there, I had to sort of go through the layers of history because that that mm. site has I mean, it's unbelievably layered history as this country and that's country where the does. bones
1: really come to the fore in that kind of landscape yeah
0: so then you think okay am i going to do something from the last 200 years the last 500 years the last thousand years you know which yeah where, where's the real um resonance of this place and what are we really going to pull up draw up out of it and, and how
1: make do you real... make that decision
0: i don't know i think that's it's sort intuition of as well to, yeah
1: what's going to feel right yes
0: i mean one one thing i've had to learn is that being a very instinctive person um and subjective person, I've had to learn ways to communicate and mm. and make things appeal to more types, more rational than myself. You know, mm. so that's been for me a big a big part of my development, I suppose, as
1: as a. And did you find that easy?
0: No, not really. I'm mean, I'm very shy. People don't know that about me. They think I'm a bit of a cunt. I think, but I'm just shy.
1: <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> so I, you know, because it is actually the first I'm thing you told private. me. Though I what? came in the door and you said I'm shy. Did I? And I was <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> oh, okay, good yeah. to know. Well, no, because I, I thought, what have I done? What have I done? I've invited this person. There's I stranger don't stranger isn't. Yeah, so it's, i have invited somebody I don't know around. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was all right, wasn't it? It was
1: all right. Yeah. that's interesting to think about gardening and shyness gardening awkwardness with people because uh, one of the things I love is just the relief I mean I work with words I'm a chatty person but the relief of just going into this world that is totally silent and completely responsive so I'm moving from task to task I haven't got a list I'm just saying that needs doing then that needs doing and now I find myself here and the deep pleasure that that gives my brain to then yes. come back to language world but to have left language world is so soothing so do you go into a sort of deep fugue when you're writing do you write in suffolk if or do you write here i write i write anywhere i mean i can write yeah. anywhere but i work in the garden and when i'm writing sort of intensively on a book i work in the garden in the morning and then i go in and write and it takes me ages and ages to get into my writing sort of deep space and i'll look yeah. at instagram every Three words until I've sort of <laughs> gone down. Whereas with the garden, if I step outside, I've gone down gone. straight away. Yeah, it's I'm not right funny. down on saying, the sea floor. I'll it's take amazing. a
0: cup of tea out and I'll come back. You know, eleven hours
1: later, and it's where I left it. And yeah, I've just been. I'm yeah, like, what have exactly. I been doing? But I'm not. I'm not. And you're not thinking in that sort of rational way of now I do. Now yeah. I've. It's not task based at all. Yeah. But I accomplish a huge amount. It's just very fluid. Yeah.
0: If I need to be a productive gardener. I have to work with somebody else with me because yeah. otherwise I'm a, I'm a kind of drifting drifter you know it's real kind of um what do you call that you know I just sort of stagger about going from leaf to leaf <laughs> sort of doing things like picking the plums which has been the the order of the last week yeah I've never known a tree have so many plums on it oh, there's not wow. a bug in them Oh, there are tons and tons! I don't know what to do with them. I haven't eaten last year's yet, um, and then that becomes really sort of therapeutic—just mm. moving the, being up the tree next to the magpie who's it's living the, in it.
1: It's the thing.
0: Seeing I mean, the garden from a different angle. There's all these things sort of milling around in my head from yeah. from work to stuff to gardening to you know yeah. change. I've got this real dilemma at the moment about whether I should redesign the garden or not. Because I don't really like designed gardens. I was going to ask you about yours, because it's a real garden, isn't it? It's got rooms and...
1: It was designed by Mark Rumery. who I don't know if you ever came across. He was the head designer at Not Cuts from 60s to 90s. And it was the only garden he ever made for himself. So it's like an incredibly sort of passionate and knowledgeably made garden, but also... He works on stately homes and this garden's a third of an acre, but it's like, yeah. a, you know, he's divided it into rooms and he's done those yeah. sort of structures, but on a tiny scale. Aww. So it's incredibly seductive. But then it was lost. It was it was sort of let go for 20 years. So my whole time there has been rediscovering it, restoring what's restorable and now going, well, actually, I don't really like that, so I'm going to take that out. Yeah. Which has been really nice to just very sort of slowly respond
0: to it. That's sort of the position I'm in, because I've inherited a garden by somebody who was a very good gardener and who died sadly but whose husband lives up the road who's very Mm. good friends of ours yeah and um I thought well I'll just be the custodian of Ruth's garden because I can can feel her in it interestingly yeah I was thinking well I know that we'd have got on like a house on fire I can because you
1: can feel a person in a garden yeah and then so I've been very choices I think yeah oh you love those you love culture comes oh I love you know that sort of feeling of somebody responding to that like great drift of purple that appears overnight. Like, I like that person.
0: Yeah. I've decided though. I think I might change it all. But interestingly, my fabulous knack of seeing things instantly, I had it the day we arrived, and I wanted to do it the day we arrived. And we've now been there for seven years, and I can't bring myself to do it.
1: Maybe her her presence is just still there. Maybe it's not time to do it yet. Oh, I shall take that. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's a good
0: excuse. That's a that's a good one. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe at ten years. So, when you're doing other people's gardens, are you in situations sometimes? I imagine you must be where it's a historical garden or it's already been made by somebody else. And how do you work with that?
0: Well, I I sort of can't. I mean, I can in a historic garden because they were generally laid out on principles. And I think if you've got principles, um, they're they're easy to work with Mm. because you can respect the principle. And then work within it. So I've done a number of of restoration projects, and I've got quite a large one at the minute.
1: A garden's listed, yes, yes. So you can have grade a garden where you've listed, got it right. Yeah,
0: grade two star listed park and garden, and yeah. then you have to. And in Scotland, there I've worked in a few. Um, they they call them something different, um, anyway. But yes, but you they're have listed. to work in
1: exactly the same way as you yes. would with a listed building.
0: And then it's and then it's a question of finding where the. Um, where the layers are important and where they're not so the Mm. one that we've got is an early uh, is a 17th century estate but it then had iterations so you had to look Mm. at the iterations and actually one of the iterations was in the 1920s and that brings quite an interesting you know there's a big heavy victorian iteration and i'm not particularly pro Mm. heavy victorian so i'm going to
1: I feel like Modified. they're going to come back in fashion very soon because they're so unfashionable. Mm. I think there's going to be an awful, like, bedding plant renaissance. Yes, that. It's the weight. Because everyone's so wild right now. It's the weight of them. They're That's ponderous. The, they're very and they're stiff.
0: Stiff, static, and dark. Yeah. And are, they're going to come back. Watch, yeah. Within two years, they're going to when be hyper-fashionable. I mean, one of the things is, do I take out my crazy paving, Olivia? I've got crazy paving
1: in no. my garden. no. Because I always think it's very interesting when people do follow fashions with guns or just sort of follow changes in sensibility. That's how those sort of amazing moments get totally yeah. lost. And I think there is something to be said for letting yeah. things just be as, as they were when they were made. Yeah, I
0: think so. And that's why I wrote about culture and style in there. Because I think it, you can, if if you are so dedicated to the, the fashion of the moment, mm. you know, I'm very interested in fashion. I'm mm. very interested in fashion because I'm f- absolutely fascinated in how people present themselves and i mm. love clothes and i love my mm. best friend just died maureen doherty oh she would be doing a podcast with us oh except she wouldn't because she wouldn't but she would if you know what i mean <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the the art of how one looks and what mm. makes you feel comfortable as an intuitive mm. i can't go in a shop and buy clothes they just nothing ever fits me or looks right so i've mm. had handmade clothes basically all uh, my life. Lovely. You know, so I think the the joy of bespoke, whatever bespoke is, yeah. is the ultimate luxury really, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, you know, made yourself or made by someone good. Yeah. But I I think style and making that I I I think it's quite a trap, you know, and that to to be open to absolutely everything mm. is very much more freeing. So mm. when I'm remaking a historic place, it is really interesting. You know, so part of this place has got a great big 1920s bog garden that needs restoring. And I just love the idea. Oh, interesting. Idea. Yeah, I All love All those them. acid colours, you know, yeah. and acid rhododendrons and camellias and huge great gunneries (gasps) and huge ferns romantic romantic mad people having
1: parties drifting around and you know those
0: sort of washed out 1920s postcard colors Mm. you know i think i can see it i can really see champagne in those
1: little saucer glasses i mean just yeah Yeah. and women faded glamour yeah it'll be like metro land i i love all of that i can feel very sort of nostalgic i mean there's something yeah. about a garden being deliberately nostalgic yeah. as well because the garden is by its nature strangely nostalgic because you're always called back to your own childhood when you're in always. a garden yeah. there's no way of avoiding that so there's yeah. always this feeling that you're slightly released into your child self That you're allowed to be fascinated you're allowed to get lost
0: I mean time is weird because time is linear but we carry all of ourself all of the time mm. through all of it and so, so you, we're always slipping are, we're always indivisible from aspects of ourselves that mm. have come and gone or, or whatever you so know.
1: do you consciously think about time and playing with time when you are making gardens or the effects this I don't just mean time I mean the sort of emotional effects that different garden spaces will have
0: Yes. I mean, I think that's harder to see, you know. I mean, I, I've i got one place that I'm working in at the moment and I was thinking, I bet they wish they could see it like this, you know, from 150 years ago. Mm. Imagine the pleasure of being able to just sort of scoot back
1: and that's the magic power i'd most like is to just yeah, be able too. to slip back through time but i mean get back out again because yeah. i might not like to stay
0: did you ever read the once and future king yes because i really wanted to be um given merlin to give me the power to go and be an animal for a day and things like yeah, that Yeah when it's all the swimming
1: it. and the <laughs> flying and it's just amazing yeah <laughs> I It'd be that so book.
0: brilliant so <laughs> dreaming is the closest we can get to it but i mean you can sort of imagine the future But really, I quite like the idea that we're just letting it go, you Mm. know, that we're setting it up and letting it go and and time will take its course with it all.
1: Mm. Well, that's That's the thing. You make the garden and then it is left to time. It's left to time's devices to change it. And that's when it starts to come alive. So it's a mysterious process, isn't it? Well,
0: I'm going to say thank you, Olivia, because it's... Always a pleasure to see you and there's nothing nicer than spending a morning yakking on about the things we like.
1: It has been a great pleasure and I'm very very excited about the book. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of What Makes a Garden. If you enjoyed this episode please like it, leave a review and share with your friends. To find out more, you can head to my website, ginnyblom.com, or find me on Instagram, at ginny.blom. The book, What Makes a Garden, will be published by Quarto and available to buy online from all good bookshops from the 19th of October, 2023. This podcast was produced by Danielle Radoitchin at In Talks With, sound by Warren Borg at Wargy Productions, original music commissioned by Ginny Blom, composed by Peter John Battessi and produced by Mark Fox at ReRecord.